Instead, he is entering from the same space as the objects. He understands them. I thought we could start by um, talking about the Lost Dream a bit and what your interest in that program was specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of came from a very, I guess, a very basic interest in having seen a couple of episodes of this program whilst in the US and I feel like I always have to forward that by saying that I'm not usually, like I don't watch a lot of TV and I'm not usually a science fiction fan and I don't know why in particular I chose this program to start watching but it was in that that I kind of became interested in this um, series of objects that feature very prominently um, and are used as um, kind of key points in the plot. So it's like the objects within this program that you were specifically interested in, how they functioned within that narrative. Yeah, right? and um, in a way that they're more props rather than uh, kind of characters. And I kind of became interested in the fact that um, they'd been assigned all of these sort of uh, these kind of metaphysical powers that were beyond verbal or visual explanation, particularly in this original sort of science fiction series that they uh, come from. And yeah, I think I felt that that lack of explanation and that um, that was the part of the part of their narrative that I was most interested in and so wanted to um, sort of make a work that kind of fitted somewhat within that gap that I saw in the original narrative. We can go anywhere. Anywhere with the door, I think. My God. Since you found the key, has your life gotten better or worse? I need you to make me a promise. Not to tell anyone about the room or the key or anything else, all right? My little girl went into that motel room and she never came out. We're in this thing together all the way, whatever the hell this thing is. There are events in motion that are greater than you could understand. What happened in that motel room? If I show you what's there, there's no going back. It will make you crazy. Tell me you can bring her back. Tell me! What's happening now? This is where the world almost ends. Do you want to just quickly like go back and explain within um, within the lost room exactly what the room the room and the objects do again? Ah, okay, yeah. Just because so, we keep referencing it, and I feel yeah. like it's going to be really cryptic otherwise. Do you think? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, this was it was something that I genuinely believed that nobody would have ever seen but then I mean not nobody this... because there's this sort of very strange cult following for these objects in particular but I think I'm surprised at people's depth of knowledge about it uh, which I also find amazing and incredible because every time I have to talk to somebody about the work they're like oh I've seen that well, I haven't yeah. seen it, so explain it, so explain it to me. <laughs> but I guess, um, yeah, so um, the room um, is sort of 
a room of a motel that's kind of trapped within um, this time warp, essentially. Um, an event happened there that they refer to um, as the event. We don't know exactly what that event was, I assume, had the TV series made it uh, made it to a later a later series or something like that maybe this would have been explained a little bit more uh but um so this event is what has caused these um yeah is what has caused these objects to have these um metaphysical powers to f- strange things for instance um sort of tapping a pencil found within the room three times on a table produce uh, coins and things like that. Um, and there's the key for the room, which is referred to as the primary object, um, which the key used on any door will allow you to enter the room that is trapped within the the time warp. So um, obviously kind of within the series things happen sort of people go missing once they've entered the room and things like that kind of can't find their way out and that's kind of the crux of the first the first um first and only series I was kind of really interested in um, looking at elements of time in the film and um, sort of notions of sort of kind of deep time and geological time in comparison to sort of time as we experience it um, sort of day to day and also... um, the use of time in uh, film, kind of this consecutive, uh, a consecutive order of events. Sort of, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I guess as we'd relate to it as being kind of post-Newtonian time, and wanting to move away from that, uh, move away from that slightly, taking its, um, taking its sort of starting point from this idea that the room within the lost room, the kind of original science fiction would reset itself every time it was accessed by 
um, by somebody and I kind of really liked this um, idea of time sort of forever moving forward but not in but also resetting Just sort of ending yeah. up back where you started yeah sort of resetting yeah. itself but then its trajectory not being the same every single time mm. yeah because I was going to say that the, the sort of experience of watching the f watching your piece was that like you know, you don't get the sense that you're just standing still, but then you sort of go through points where you're like, okay, there's the kind of like uh, narrative arc of this, of this is moving, is moving forward and it develops and then you sort of end up back where you started, but it's kind of the same, but it's not kind of the same. And then you kind of move forward again. You're like, right, okay, we're getting somewhere. And then you sort of end up back where you started. Again, it's a bit sort of like <clears throat> being in, being in a maze but I suppose I suppose like what um that and the kind of room from the lost room does is it is upset the idea of like linear time and mm. causality yeah which is which is quite interesting um and also upsets this idea of like the kind of common trope which turns up in sci-fi a lot of of like time travel yeah. and how that logically works yeah. and like um the kind of elegance of it like i'm thinking specifically of that film looper <laughs> where yeah. it's like it's sort of like the way it works as a narrative is like so immaculate that it mm. makes you kind of suspicious because like um the protagonist is like jumping forward back in time then jumping back in time yeah. and shooting somebody and then jumping forward and shooting them again and it's yeah. this whole whole thing but I think like that's sort of a bit too squeaky clean yeah I think there's something a bit more disorientating about the passage of time yeah exactly and I that I think that's really interesting you say that just because kind of looking at a lot of I think I said this to you before and you were like, how can you be a novice working with science fiction? How can you, I described it as being like coming at it from a novice's approach to mm. writing a science fiction narrative. And you asked me how you can be a novice when you're writing science fiction. Yeah. And like, I feel like my inability to explain as you said, the elegance of time travel as you see it in a lot of science fiction is probably the perfect way to describe how you can be a novice when coming at a science fiction narrative. Yeah, I would say I would say that's kind of more because like arguably whoever I don't remember who did Looper but um you know, the people who did they're not like they're not physicists either. Like it's all <laughs> no. kind of speculative, and I think, yeah. I think some sometimes like that kind of fragmented, mm. sort of stretchy, elasticy, loopy, stacked time, like yeah. is is a lot more into, is a lot more true to how a person or an individual might experience time, where you know a day is like. A passing of minutes mm -hmm. that some go really fast, some go really slowly, and then on top of that, there are 
things you're remembering about things you have to do or just memories that of things that have happened to you yeah. that come back into that time and some of those memories will happen in like five minutes but mm. will be you thinking of a a period of two months or whatever in your life and mm -hmm. and so you're you're experiencing like all these things all at the same time yeah. and they don't really all add up no in that sense that i jump jump through a porthole and like turn up behind myself and and <laughs> yeah. like I, tie I, my shoes or whatever you might be doing i think that's kind of what's interesting about like i think in making the work and moving yeah um, I don't know making the work uh, a film or like I think it kind of affords you more sort of flexibility in terms of offering a plausible kind of end point for something in in a way that I guess one of the reasons why the work ended up being a film was because it initially started um, as a kind of a spoken word piece and it was very mm. much about the placement of the narrator and the narrator telling this story of these um, with kind of still images that were sort of presented in uh, a cinematic sequence that was very much a beginning and an end and that work was very much tied to the time and the place at which it happened and kind of in wanting to move away from that and also wanting wanting to move away from the kind of as the performer of that work as well wanting to detach myself from um, the place where, or the the voice that is speaking, that narrative speaking, that experience. Um, although I still am the voiceover in the film, it physically removes me. If that makes yeah, sense. I mean, I guess you sort of like you disembody yourself yeah. from and space, and and I suppose, in a sense, time because you're not literally mm. speaking it anymore it's a recording yeah that's continually dug up and and i suppose as well yeah because the the work was very much um tied to that performance and limited by uh time in that way whereas yeah there's a lot more um yeah a lot more flexibility in terms of kind of wanting to play with those elements and also rather than explore sort of as you described it before like a beginning sort of an arc in a narrative and then coming to some sort of reasonable end um it was kind of more about i think it's not i think he said something about it's circling in a way and cyclical yeah, and yeah. or kind of coming in on itself like concentric circles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's sort of like. I guess the best way I can I can sort of describe it in like metaphorical terms is if you're if you're in a house of like several floors and you walk across one floor up the stairs, and then 
you walk across the next floor and just fall through into the bottom floor <laughs> and then walk around again yeah. and then you miss that hole. Yeah. But then you go up another level and then you fall through, through again and then, and then through yeah. the other hole. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of like that's the experience of sort of watching the film. It's yeah. like it's sort of yeah, and I guess through that process the like floors of this hypothetical yeah. building gradually become more and more holy. And I think kind of what I definitely through writing the narrative, what I began to do was kind of wanting to find a centre, if that makes sense. Mm, But then it just didn't turn out. It just didn't turn out that way as I was writing. Um, I felt like this kind of... um, Coming back to elements of the sort of certain phrases or certain, um, certain ideas or notions kind of became more interesting than trying to find a centre of this explanation for why these objects and the room that they were housed within was or is the way it is, behaves in the way it does, people have the experiences that they have there. Time here is different to other time, like time after time. You can assume, or I would assume that there's like some kind of, there's some kind of internal logic that yeah. the screenwriters have given the like, why the key, why the pencil, why does it do this, why does it do that? Yeah. Like, what are you then meant to sort of do with all of them together and all this? And it's kind of just sort of gone to the grave with the rest of the th- series, which is, I wonder, kind of, I wonder why there's like all this speculation and fan kind this of. This is kind of exactly, I think, primarily the reason that I wanted to make the work so I think in saying that, I have just essentially made a really... Yeah, I stand by it as just actually being what I've done. It's like fan. Yeah, I just basically made a very extravagant piece of fan fiction about something that... Um, yeah, I just kind of developed quite a peculiar interest in. Mm. And I think it is that... Um, there is this. There is that kind of... Very much that setting up of a narrative and... Um, sort of these objects uh, I think there is a list available online of the objects and their associated powers and uh, not all of them uh, not all of their powers are known because they've not been uh, revealed yet and I think 
it was kind of that gap in the narrative that I was sort of that I was really interested in and also the fact that it it's quite funny I was talking to a friend um uh Liz who actually worked with me to produce the film mm-hmm. uh, and she the first time she watched it I think her her overriding comment was the fact that everything just happens in the first um, episode. There's no kind of preamble to finding the room. It's just like the lost room. Ah, look, here's the room. Like there's there's no kind of element of surprise. It's like there's the lost room. There's the room. The key. That's Deal with or, it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like all of these things. Like I think it's. Good in. I mean, they were obviously aware they only had six episodes to get this. <laughs> this. So they got cancelled even before they yeah, started. Yeah, exactly. It's Brutal. not like one of those uh, where there's this horrible preamble before you get to get to the good bits. So, it, yeah, I mean, so you're saying this like sort of became a bit of a fixation in some ways that that video kind of exists as a um, as a piece of sort of like yeah fan fan fiction i suppose <laughs> if you want but like i think I, there's something quite interesting about that kind of along with this sort of cult following that's come along with yeah. something that basically never really quite existed mm-hmm. as a full thing and and like the that sort of human desire to resolve something yeah like you were saying to sort of within your video to try and like find the center and and yeah. come to some kind of like epiphany about why mm-hmm. why any of any of this stuff existed and yeah. like there's there's something quite interesting about that desire to do it and also about the fact that you you never really like did did and that that in that investigation you kind of got turned turned around and around yeah. and around I think um I very much saw, yeah, as I said before, I very much saw that as a a framework within which to kind of uh, build. And I spent kind of a lot of time um, sort of reading and researching uh, and kind of watching and re-watching a lot of... Um, science fiction films and um, uh, science fiction stories kind of looking at um, sort of the use of um, objects or props or um, yeah sort of sort of settings or environments and things like that and um, the very specific ways that they're used in um science fiction it kind of, I think I kind of became overwhelmed by the amount of material I had to work with before even starting I think I was more uh, became more interested in um, yeah kind of creating this sort of very absurd yeah perhaps not as, in want of a better phrase I don't think absurd is the right word yeah, I kind of became interested in giving voice to something or a perspective that hadn't been explored. You're trying to like catch 
the thing that is sort of just hovering in your peripheral vision. Yeah. Um, or like I read, I'm I'm reading a book at the moment that describes the <clears throat> the sensation of playing video games mm-hmm. as being kind of a bit a bit like this, where you know that if you're playing like a first-person shooter or something where you're looking from a first-person perspective, you, you know that whatever's behind you is is just a void. Yeah. It, is like it's beyond a void. Uh-huh. It's nothing. It's it never e- yeah. exists. But as soon as you turn around, the void disappears. Yeah. But then and and you're always and and it was sort of talking about like oh the um the kind of practice of like hacking games and stuff uh-huh. is is to do with like trying to chase that that breaking point mm-hmm. where where you would be able to see the thing that you're not meant, meant to, to look see. at or yeah. is not. I think that's interesting, primarily because my only current experience of playing video games is one particular zombie shooting game called House of the Dead. Okay, I really don't play computer games, so. No, well. I just read a lot about them. <laughs> neither do I, but it's become a once once a week activity that I do. There's a place near where I work that. You can go and play this game. Oh, really? Yeah. So I go once a week. Where Where is it? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> it's, it's in a bar called Super Barrio. And they have this machine that is House of the Dead. You put a pound in and you can play. And I'm just... I, I don't know. It's kind of like a nice uh, hour-long activity that I go and do once a week in my lunch hour just to totally <laughs> forget about that's great the day at work that's, that's a really good way to <laughs> yeah um and i'm kind of thinking about that because my peripheral vision with that game comes from the fact that i go once a week every week i play the same game and more often than not i get to exactly the same point in the game because i only put a pound in and i'm pretty sure the people that are on the leaderboard have put at least five um and yeah that sort of my peripheral vision from that is something that exists only within here and doesn't doesn't actually exist within the game because you take this very set trajectory through the landscape and through the house of the dead uh, so, so you mean so you mean that in, in playing it you're actually sort of generating this kind of mental yeah. map of a space that actually never exists it's yeah it's just yeah. the which i guess is kind of how the room functions yeah. right where the, where like yeah, if exactly. people are continually getting kind of lost in it and stuff it's up to the sort of the people who know like uh-huh. the different points in which which exist to sort of create this kind of mental map of yeah. like what the actual life of the room is and therefore uh-huh. where all the things sort of sit They're within kind of it placement within that which again, going back to House of the Dead, is, <laughs> is, I think this is essentially a really long, a really long metaphor for the work. But it's kind of like every time you go back through that, go back through the landscape, and you shoot at a different barrel or something like that, you realise that they've got lives inside them or things like that and sort of every time you go back and re-experience yeah every time you go back and re-experience it you uncover something else despite 
visiting the same place and I think that was part of the reason for the repetition is that it in repeating something it kind of brought an idea or something to the forefront uh, an idea or a certain um, aspect of the object sort of there's a lot of repetition of um, the I guess you could describe them as avatars for the objects, the 3D renders of the objects. And oh, yeah, of course, because you, um, you 3D rendered them and then 3D printed yeah. each of the, the like key and the glass and the um, yeah. sunglasses and stuff. And I guess sort of the point of, although um, the point of repetition, I think, in that was to maybe explode the idea of the chicken and the egg in, chicken and the egg in terms of what came first from the object was it the because I mean in the way that they were made it was the render the 3D printed and then they were filmed again mm-hmm. and blown out in pixels on the screen mm-hmm. but I think that kind of repetition of sort of actual uh, yeah sort of the animated avatars on the screen and then uh, sort of filmed the and then filming the uh, objects once they'd been printed um was kind of yeah to sort of muddy that idea of what which came first and which was the most prominent or the um which was the one that kind of embodied um all these kind of bigger sort of ideas around um, the physicality of these objects and um, the powers beyond their kind of static function and things like that. Yeah, the sort of the physicality of the objects when they kind of were given these like metaphysical powers became... It became less clear what you were interacting with, whether it was... Uh, a glass to use the example of the glass a glass to to drink from or whether it was uh, a glass to perform this kind of metaphysical mm. or um, utilize this metaphysical power and and that, that kind of upsets the idea of like of purpose or um, within the object and then upsets mm. the idea of of therefore if you were to be presented with the original object, the 3D scan and the 3D print and the projected image, which would be the one you would sort of like reach towards? Um, I, like I personally would reach towards the projected, the projected image of the, of them. Primarily because that, for me, was the point at which I'd managed to kind of play with their materiality. I began, yeah, began by sort of taking the descriptions of these objects and then sort of building these 3D models, having them printed. So changing, kind of removing their function and changing their materiality, making them... Uh, lighter or not as clear or making them 
sort of translucent or something like that, then kind of filming them again and using those and using them and sort of their material qualities and their um their form sort of their horizontal lines and their vertical lines to create sort of framing in the film and things like that and i think um it's at that point that they then begin to they really begin to merge with this visual exploration that the film tries to uh take i suppose in a way that sort of um kind of the incorporation of the 3D objects like into the film is is maybe like a technique for sort of accessing their mm. kind of like metaphysical potential yeah. where they're no longer performing their sort of utilitarian function. function. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I think I was sort of interested in um, that idea of function as being something that obviously they are fabricated for sort of their their qualities um, are obviously tailored so that they work it at a total optimum for the as you described the util and utilitarian function sort of a glass for drinking from or um pencil or a pair of glasses or something like that and I think in kind of wanting to remove remove that prime well yeah remove what we might deem a primary function from them to allow for the potential for other fun uh, for other functions and sort of I think we spoke I think we've spoken previously kind of like about collapsing a hierarchy of um like these, re of realness. Yeah, and kind of the the existence of these um objects and I think I wanted to um remove kind of their existence for our purposes if that makes sense. Uh as in like humanist yeah. purposes. Yeah. So, uh, mm, yeah, okay. kind of, and I think that's why the film as well. Um, and I'm not too sure whether this is, I'm not too sure whether that's been successful yet, but kind of, uh, kind of wanting the film to take this non anthropocentric point of view. To it for it to be dizzying and quite disorientating uh disorientating for kind of a human viewer if that mm. makes sense yeah i guess yeah i mean <clears throat> i certainly got that that feeling like when you were you know because it does become quite apparent that you're sort of talking through the lens of this room and the objects and you're and like the narrator kind of embodies these things but at the same time it's not like it's not like the the when these things are embodied that when it's like a glass it's going i am a glass i i hold water it's sort of like you're actually kind of having this really vertiginous um 
experience of like zooming through all of its kind of time yeah. as as like mineral as as like glass as sand as as all of these different things and and all of these that belong to all of these different kind of time scales mm-hmm. of of formation and and breaking down um which yeah, is like certainly dizzying and disorientating i wonder what um what you think the particular importance is now of taking like a understanding our world in a non-anthropocentric way the importance of that yeah if if that's what you're kind of trying to break down a little yeah i think yeah definitely for definitely for me in making the work was very much a case of being able to understand um an experience of time and of landscape and um of yeah fiction as well in a way that i don't experience it in the day-to-day if that makes sense like actually pushing myself to think about these things in other ways in other realms and i think that's definitely how yeah how the um sort of the written and verbal narrative of the film uh was was developed was kind of through my own kind of meanderings through these um ideas and concepts um and potentials really and i wouldn't i wouldn't say there's I mean, for me, it's important, but I wouldn't say that there is kind of like an overwhelming importance to be able to understand. I, I wouldn't want to. I guess I wouldn't want to f- to say, yeah, that there is definitely an importance to understanding these things in a non-anthropocentric way. But for me, in terms of looking at fiction, it's more exciting. Mm. Okay. I think. I mean, I think you could certainly, you could at least make an argument that whether it's important or not. Yeah. We. It's like I personally think it is. Which yeah, yeah, but even if even if you thought it wasn't important, I think you can't you can't really deny the fact that this particular sort of contemporary moment we, you know, you can't ignore the fact that there is this like in in a popular mindset there is this encroaching of geological time onto mm-hmm. kind of human yeah of course like anthropological time yeah where where it's sort of suddenly we've kind of had that dizzying thing of of like understanding that actually we are part of this kind of billions of years of geo, geological yeah. development kind of... and that we've become sort of an active yeah. protagonist and we'll... within that kind of be consumed by that as well yeah. and we play a very definite yeah definite hand in kind of obviously the trajectory of that kind of time I feel like we might be getting on to talking about something but uh, I don't know I don't know whether it's well no I mean spit it out <laughs> 
<laughs> you might, I mean, say it and then we can... No, I guess I feel like we're getting on to talking about something that... Um, yeah, it's perhaps not so relevant. Like, it's a very relevant conversation to have, but not maybe quite so relevant to this conversation mm, that we're okay. having in terms of, yeah, kind of the importance of that perspective. I think we can probably just end it in saying that I think it's quite important and I assume you do too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I've been sort of <clears throat> sucked into the, the glorious vortex of post-humanism and, you know, post-humanism is one of these things that talks about the kind of the environmental, geological yeah. and like social urgency of understanding our position mm -hmm. as humans as being animals within an environment yeah. that we have to live within as opposed to like that kind of nature culture divide and I think the breaking down of that like entitled perspective is really important in so many ways not in terms of like just an environmental concern but also in terms of how we understand and relate to things that are different and alien to us yeah in the sense that when you start thinking in a kind of post-humanist way the the like frightening part of mm -hmm. that difference kind of dissolves a little bit and mm -hmm. it just becomes part of a spectrum of like possible ways of of being yeah. anything which i guess is kind of like sort of what the function in in a way the narrator who is whilst disembodied is clearly human mm -hmm. performs where they're kind of identifying as an object or a room mm -hmm. and i think when you put it like that it's perhaps because there's a certain vulnerability in the way that that narrative is performed as well mm. in yeah, in a. It doesn't see itself as being. Um, it acknowledges itself as purely a perspective and not being this perhaps uh, omnipresent narrator that you imagine it being. It recognizes its own. Its own perspective. Um, and its own situation in being... Or its own subjectivity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and also kind of a vulnerability in that it's the argument it's making for sort of leaving behind uh, your own rationale when trying to kind of understand the events or happenings of the rooms and the potentials for these objects um, it was interesting for me to make that narrator a kind of bridge between what we think to be or the kind of a bridge between our experience of reality and another 
experience of reality mm. presented in the film. And what and what we sort of understand to be animate. Yeah. And inanimate. Yeah. Like human and not. Yeah. 